that I once thought were dreams for me, like as Dwayne said, to have our dream house. You know, we've been going through different things in life, and now we're at a stage where our children are getting ready, or they're in college, and the youth talk about their dream school. We talk about having a dream job or a dream career. We talk about having a dream that was going to be fulfilled before we die, a bucket list, right? A bucket list is nothing less and nothing more than a dream. A dream to go someplace, a dream to see something, or a dream to be someone. God has made us to dream. What are you dreaming about right now? What's your greatest dream in life? What dreams do you have for your children? Over the last month, as we've been waiting for Angela to make her decision about which college to go to, it's challenged our dreams. It's challenged her dreams. We had to look at each school and look at all the benefits and consider the costs and consider not just the financial costs, but some of the emotional costs, like if she went all the way to Boston or not, which was one school she had applied to, or whether she stay as close as here in, in Long Beach or, or go to Middle Ground, which was Santa Barbara. But what was her dream? And, and could Carol and I, could we finance her dream? I mean, how many of us have had dreams that we thought didn't come true because there wasn't the resource to fulfill the dream? And how many of us as parents have dreams for our children that if we could just have the power to change their lives and move them in the right direction, we just know as parents we've got the right dream for them. But they've got to agree to follow it. And at the same time, we as parents have to have the resources to make it happen. I want you to think about this. God has dreams. And just as a parent has dreams for their children, so God has dreams for you. And just as a father has dreams for his family, so God has dreams for this family, Harvest Community Church. God has dreams. And today we're going to look at God's dream house. I think that's probably the thing that we most often think about. When you think about, what's your dream? We often think about our dream house. And God has a dream house. What does it look like? What does it have? Who's in it? Does it look something like this beautiful, huge mansion of a church? It's in Spain. Is God looking for a building like that from us? You know, can we build something like that in Irvine? Is that what God wants? You know, we're in this Treasuring Christ Kingdom campaign. If you're visiting for us with the first time today, then, then um, just know that we're, we're in a financial campaign, but we're not asking you for money. This is not primarily an issue of, of raising funds. This is an, an issue of raising faith. What we are talking about is what God's dreams are for his people and the building is just God's object lesson for us. It's just a way for him to objectively help us to fulfill the dream that he has for us as a people. And God's dream for us is that God wants us to have his dreams. 
and that God's dream for us is that we would follow His plans for our lives because He knows what's, he knows what's best. We look again at First Chronicles 28, 11, and 12. And we read, Then David gave his son Solomon the plans. The plans. David had plans for a temple. Where did these plans come from? The Bible tells us that David was sitting in his palace and he was looking around the palace and he thought, I got a great house. And then he looked over and he saw the Ark of the Covenant and he said, how come I have this great house but, but God's Ark is just sitting in a tent? And so then David started to dream. And David received a dream from God and he received the okay from the prophet to go ahead and dream his dreams. And so David dreamed from God that he would have a temple for the Lord. And then God said, yes, there's going to be a temple for me. But you know what, David, you're not going to build the temple. Your dream's going to come true, though, because your son, Solomon, is going to build me a temple. And these are the words that we see here in 1 Chronicles 28. That David is saying, Solomon, I got these plans from the Lord. And then it says there in verse 12, he gave him the plans of all that the Spirit had put in his mind. God gave the plans to David. God put it in his mind. He had a dream from God. And David sat down and he wrote out everything about what this beautiful temple would look like and how it would be ordained and how it would also be ornamented. And God said to David, David said to Solomon, and this is the plans that the Spirit put in my mind. Now, would you have confidence if God gave you something directly? If God spoke to you in a dream and you knew it was God and God said, hey, I want you to go over in this direction. I want you to go in that direction. I don't want you to go there, but I have this dream for you. Wouldn't that give you confidence? That was the one thing that we asked of Angela as she was making her decision about going to college. She thought she was going to make it last week, but we said, wait, why don't you wait till this weekend? And we want you to spend some time alone with God so that you can have a sense of God's call so that when you go to this school, because it was between two schools, you don't want to go to one school and go, gosh, I, I wish I chose the other one. I wonder if I made the right choice. So he said, we want you to have a sense of, of God's call, of his dream for you. And she got that during the week. And now she can go to the college that she wants to go to with a certainty that this is where God is leading her. And David received something even better. David received specific instructions from God of what to do, of how to build the temple. And it gave David what we can have too. When we dream God's dreams, when we follow God's plans, and when God's plans become our plans, we gain confidence from God's Spirit. And so building a house for God, two weeks ago we said building a house for God is an issue of the heart. The heart has to be in it. And when the heart is in it, we give willingly. And today, we're learning that the issue 
of building a building for God is an issue of God's spirit. It's an issue of faith. It's an issue of what God does in someone's heart. It's an issue of how God speaks to us. And so God is putting a dream into David. And this dream can stand as a metaphor for all of our lives. Because we're all trying to build something right now. We're trying to build our careers. We're trying to build a relationship. We are trying to build a house. We're trying to build you know, our finances. We're trying to build our bank accounts so we can buy the things that we want. We're all trying to build something right now. Maybe we're trying to build character in our lives. Maybe we're trying to build habits that help us to be better people. Maybe we're trying to build disciplines that draw us closer to God. So we're all trying to build something. And so building the house of God can stand as a metaphor for building a life for God. And in the same way that we will build a house for God, so God will build our faith. But we have to give God our plan. In Proverbs, Solomon wrote these words, and you can see them in the upper right-hand part of your outline. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 1, and this is from the message version of the Bible. Would you read these two verses with me, 16.1 and 16.3? Let's say them together. Mortals make elaborate plans, but God has the last word. Put God in charge of your work, then what you've planned will take place. What Solomon is saying here is that if you have a dream and you start making plans for that dream, make sure that that dream came from God. And put your dreams into the hands of God and he will make them come true. Put those dreams, those desires that you have, and put them in the hands of God. So we might just change that word in verse 3. From saying instead of put God in charge of your work, you could write put God in charge of your dreams. See, we have this dream for our building for harvest. But we've already laid it in the hands of God. And because we've already laid it in the hands of God, we have confidence that God will take care of it. We have confidence that God's going to do what God wants to do. We believe that he wants it to happen. But it's up to him. And when God continues to give us the affirmation from his word and from his spirit, and he starts opening doors for us to go, it'll be scary. Just like Dwayne said, when you want to commit all that money, you want to commit all that time, you want to commit all that energy, and you're taking this huge risk, and you go, well, should we do this? But you've got to have the confidence that if God's in the dream, if God gave the plans, You've left those plans and those dreams in God's hands. That God will make them come true. And that's who we are, Harvest. We are people who are letting God, who has all the resources to make every dream come true, let us use him because we've placed our plans in his hands. And we look at verse 20 of 1 Chronicles 28. And David continues to talk to his son. He says... It says there, David also said to Solomon, his son, be strong and courageous and do the work. Do not be afraid or discouraged for the Lord God, my God, is with you. He will not fail you or forsake you until all the work for the service of the temple of the Lord is finished. When you have a dream then the dream should be bigger than something you imagine yourself being truly able to do in your own power. 
Otherwise, it's not a dream. It's just an effort. A dream is something that's beyond ourselves. A dream is something we can't do by ourselves. A dream from God is something that requires a God-sized plan. And God says, if you're going to have a dream like that, you're going to need to be strong. And this word strong, it means to fasten upon, to fasten onto. And so what is strength? It's fastening on to God. It's holding on to God. That's what strength is. And David says, Solomon, my son, I want you to hold on to God. See, I gave you these plans, but I don't want you to hold on to the plans. I want you to hold on to God. Because the strength is not in the plans. The strength is in the planner. And it's God who gives the strength to us. And we must hold on to him. We need him. And so he says, don't be afraid, but go forward. Do it. It's time. Go ahead. Step forward. You receive my plans. Now, don't be so afraid that you don't go. We all have some fears. But those fears can serve as a strength in our heart. To cause us to hold on to God. If we don't feel afraid, then it's easy to let go of God. But if we go forward with the fear of God, we hold on to him in the things that we do. So like if we have problems in our marriage, that can be good if it causes us to hold on to God. If we have problems with our children, that can be good if it causes us to seek and to hold on to God. If we have problems with our work, that can be good because it causes us to hold on to God and know there's something more important than work. And God cares. And God cares so much more about us than about a building. So much more about us than about things. He wants to be with us. See that? The end of verse... Oh, it's in the middle of verse 20. The Lord, God, my God, is incarnate, is Emmanuel, is with you. God has great plans. Now that church that you had a picture of up there, is a, there's another picture of it here. And it's actually the first picture you saw, they just sort of cropped out. They took out the pictures of the cranes uh, because they're still building this church. Um, they began building in 1882. Okay, so if you do the math, that's 131 years ago. That's when they began building and they're still building today. And they can't even predict when they're going to be done. They say it's going to be done somewhere between 2020 and 2040. Now, you give yourself a very safe window if you say, well, you know, when's my house going to be done? He said, well, we should be done the next 20 years. You know, it's like, okay. Now, why is, now, what's going on here? All right. Why would somebody start to build a church that takes over 150 years to build? Well, Antoni Gaudí, a, a famed and great architect from Spain, was commissioned to design and build this church back in 1882. And so he began it. And he had such great plans. Now, of course, like with every great plan, there's going to be great problems. But this was a house dedicated to God. The name of it is La, Sag- La Sagrada Familia. Now, Sagrada means what? Those of you who know Spanish, or if I said it bad, but means what? Sacred. 
right? Looks like it. Sacred. So it means the sacred family of the holy family. It's the temple of the holy family in Barcelona. And so he had a passion for doing this. And he designed this wonderful temple. Problem was, it was so great, it took longer than he could live. He died in 1926. And then, 10 years later, there was a rebellion in Spain, and, and anarchists went in and they destroyed portions of the temple, and they destroyed his workroom. They destroyed the plans, most of the plans and the models that he had built. And so after that time, when the rebellion was over and they went back in, they tried to find the plans that Gaudi had drawn. They weren't there. They had been destroyed. And so they had to imagine, well, gee, you know, what do we do now? Well, the problem is that Gaudi was dead for over 10 years. He was no longer with them. And so he couldn't tell them what to do. And so all these people started making all these other plans for what they thought he wanted. And they put it in charge of a committee, and that's what happens when you do that. <laughs> it is not done. It just keeps getting bigger and more beautiful, you know, but it's just not done. In fact, it's so old that though they're building new parts that haven't been built yet, they have to renovate the old parts that they first started because they're falling apart. And that's not going to happen with God's church. Why? Because God is always alive. God is with us. And so we will always know what his plans are. And that's what David is saying to Solomon. It's going to be a great project. But don't let it overwhelm you. Because God is with you. You cannot fail if you hold on to him. You cannot fail if you hold on to him. When David was talking to to his son earlier in First Chronicles 22, a number of chapters before. And you have that verse over there on the left-hand side of your outline. I'll read it. So David is speaking again to Solomon. Maybe this is when he first began to tell Solomon in private that this is what he was going to do, that God had told him, I'm not going to build it, but you are. You're going to build a temple for God, Solomon. And David said this in First Chronicles 22. Now, my son, the Lord be with you. And may you have success and build the house of the Lord your God, as he said you would. May the Lord give you discretion and understanding when he puts you in command over Israel so that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will have success if you are careful to observe the decrees and laws that the Lord gave Moses for Israel. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Or discouraged. Same words. Be strong. Hold on to God. Hold on to Him. Because He is with you. And because He is with you. Because God is with you. You cannot fail. I mean, isn't that fair to say? That the God of the universe is with you, so you cannot fail. What would you do for God? What would you do for the Lord if you knew you could not fail? Think about that. 
What would you do for God? If you knew you could not fail. Because he is with you. Now we have dreams. But we're not chasing dreams. We're holding on to God. We're walking with God. But we have to have faith. And God will give us courage. So that when God's plans become our plans, we will receive courage from his presence. He will be with us always. That God's love is there for us so that we cannot fail. Harvest, we cannot fail. If this is God's plan. If this is God's plan for us to have a new building, then we cannot fail. And in the process, something greater is going to happen. Our faith is going to grow. Our love for God is going to grow. Our desire to work together is going to grow. We are going to be motivated to do the things that God wants us to do. We're going to want to do it. We may have some fear, but we're going to overcome that fear because God is with us. We're going to be motivated for something greater because we're doing it for God, because God's doing it for us. When God's plans are our plans, we will be motivated to do great things for God. So whatever plan you think of as what you can do for God, if you could not fail, it ought to be great. And that's what happened here with David. That's what happened here with Solomon. That's what happened here for the Israelites. Verse 1, chapter 29, 1 Chronicles. Then King David said to the whole assembly, My son Solomon, the one whom God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man but for the Lord. So what makes this project great? What made Solomon's project important and great was not that it was this big, great, big church or temple. That's not what made it great. What made it great is that it was for God. It was for the Lord. We're not making this temple. We're not seeking this church building for man. We are seeking to have a temple, to have a house for God. David says, you know, Solomon, he's just a young guy. He's probably about 18, 20 years old right here. So you imagine, you know, you're high school or graduates, <laughs> and then you say, here's the plans. I want you to build this big temple for God. Whoa. They need help. And so David is saying that you must help him. You must be motivated. We have a new facility search team. They're motivated. You have a staff. We're motivated. You have a board of, of elders. They're motivated. We have a team of deacons, and they're motivated. But we all have to be motivated so that God will do great things through all of us because we are not just building another building. Now, we are looking at warehouses, and God's going to turn a warehouse into a house of worship. He's going to turn something that might have held cans before into a place of praise, places of healing, places of hope, a house for God, 
a house that will be used for his glory. William Carey, a great and pioneering missionary, said this, expect great things from God. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. What's the greatest thing you've ever attempted for God? What's the greatest thing you've ever attempted for God? Now, as I think about that question, I have a hard time answering it. You know, I might say, uh, well, I guess going into ministry, I don't know, getting married, um, having church, I mean, having children. Um, I don't know. Is that it? You know, I've never wanted to be part of a building campaign. Um, I've never wanted to be the pastor of a church that's going through a financial campaign. Um, my brother-in-law, former pastor, said to me, your church is going through a building campaign? Curtis, don't you know that's a pastor killer? And, and statistics show it. A number, a good percentage of pastors resign right after the campaign, during it, or they leave the church right after. I imagine some of them just die right after too. All right? Um, yeah, stop. Oh. So I've never... I've never wanted to be part of a building campaign. (laughs) But I've changed. I'm so excited about being part of this stewardship campaign. I am so jazzed about being able to be your pastor, part of your staff, your servant, helping us to pursue something that's greater than anything I could have ever imagined myself doing. Because it's not about me. I just got to keep remembering that. It's not about me. It's about God and it's about who he is. It's about doing something for a God who is so great that he sent his son Jesus to die on a cross for us. A God is so great that the Bible says that the earth is his footstool. God doesn't need a building. He says so. You know, I've never needed a building. You know, so why do you think I need one now? But you can build me a building. God says to David, you can't if you want to. Because that's how you will see my glory. That's how you will live out the covenant relationship that we have. I will motivate you to love and to long for me more and more and more because we will have this temple for me. And in this temple, you will find me. And in this temple, you will walk with me. See, that's what I was missing for all those years of my life where I said, I don't want to be part of a building campaign. In fact, when I interviewed here 12 years ago, and I was thinking about whether or not I wanted to accept the invitation to come to Harvard. I mean, I very much wanted to, but there was only one thing that made me stop and think if, if I really wanted to, and that was knowing that if the ministry did what it should do, which is, which is grow and become stronger and make a difference in the community, that we would someday have to look for our own building. God changed me. It began many different ways, but probably the most significant way was back in 2010. In 2010, I was at a personal retreat, and I was thinking about the building that God would have us to build. I was sitting um, up on top of this little motel down in Cardiff, 
And it's just this beautiful place. It's outside. And I was looking up and just thinking about this building. And I sensed that God was just saying to me, Curtis, dream. Dream. Dream about the building. What would it be? And so I opened up my journal. And I wrote down a number of things that I thought this building would would represent. I wrote a page on my journal on the left-hand side. And then on the right-hand side, I drew a picture of what I had just written about. And so you have a picture of it right here. And I know you can't see it very well. It's just a scan of my, my journal. But it's a picture of the building that I could imagine in my mind back in October of 2010. And it was just a warehouse. Just a warehouse. The next picture is a little better because I just had added some stuff there. But the red part represents a worship area. The green part in the front right represents prayer. The brown part represents classrooms, youth rooms, nursery rooms, children's rooms. It represented things that I could imagine what God would want his people to have in this house. But what was more important than drawing plans was the purpose for the plans. And so I'd written in my journal these words. On October 19th, my heart's desire is for harvest to be filled and overflowing with the life of Jesus Christ and of the Holy Spirit and to be joyful in the presence of God at all times. That this was to be a house for God. This was to be a house where God's people are filled with God. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Just some very, very important verses about God's house. Hebrews chapter 6. I want to start reading at verse 1. Whoops, wrong verse. Um... Find it again. I thought it was Hebrews 6. How embarrassing. Anyways, I know it's here. There he is. Sorry. Chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. I'll read it and you can follow. Therefore, holy brothers, who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of the house has Greater honor than the house itself. Every house is built by someone. But God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house. Testifying to what would be said in the future. But Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. And we are his house. If we hold on to the courage and the hope of which we boast. We are God's 
house. So there's no greater motivation than building God's house than in building God's people. And the house that we would build that's a building is a metaphor of the house that will live forever, which is you and me, which is God's people. And that we are motivated to do great things because it goes beyond brick and mortar and it's in flesh and spirit. It is God building us up to be the people that God made us to be. So that when God's plans are all plans, we will be motivated to do great things for God and those will be reflected in us. And then when God's plans are our plans, we will first give ourselves to God and then joyfully give our best offerings. Let's look at verses 2 through 9 of First Chronicles chapter 29. And I'll read it. With all my resources... I have provided for the temple of my God gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron, and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stones and marble, all these in large quantities. Besides my devotion to the temple of my God, I now give my personal treasures of gold and silver for the temple of my God. Over and above everything I have provided for this temple, 3,000 talents of gold, gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver for the overlaying of the walls of the temple, for the gold work, and for the silver work, and for all the work to be done by the craftsmen. Now who is willing to consecrate himself to the Lord and the leaders of the family and the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, the commanders of hundreds, And the officials in charge of the king's work gave willingly. They gave toward the work of the temple 5,000 talents and 10,000 derricks of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Any who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Gershonite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. For they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. God works in our lives. But the first thing that he wants and the only thing that he really needs is us. David wants to give to God so badly. And he has this dream of this temple for his son Solomon to build. And as king, so David turned and he as the, the, the CEO and the CFO said, turn all the money over to the building of the temple. And so they took the, temp, the treasury that was part of his kingship and they turned it over to build the, ta- the palace for God. But then he said, not only that, I want to give over and above. And Pastor Corey last week spoke about that. That we as a people, we're gonna, what we give now, we continue to give. But we must give over and above that so that we can continue to grow the work, so that we can do the work of God. We can't just transfer money from here to there. Even David understood that. And so he had to give of himself. And he gave his own gold, not just that which came with the kingship, but that which was his own possession. And he gave it to the work of this temple over and above. And he says that in that, he gave 110 Tons of gold. That's what 3,000 talents turns out to in our measuring terms. 3,000 talents would be 110 tons of gold. And with gold at about $1,500 an ounce, that turns into about $5 billion. 
And so David did, that was his own money. That was what belonged to him. And then he said, now I've done that. Now who will consecrate himself today to the Lord? Now we think of the word consecrate as something that's pretty religious, you know. Desecrate, of course, is something that you destroy and, and, and it dishonors God. But consecrate is something that you give to God and you dedicate to him. But the word consecrate, it simply means to give with a full hand. It means to give. And so what David is saying is, who's going to give himself to the Lord? That's what he's asking for. He's not asking for gold. He's saying, who will give himself to the Lord today? So we first give ourselves to God. And then David shows that he's done that because the evidence of all that he had given up for the Lord. And then the families and the leaders of these families, verse 6, then the leaders of the families and the officers and the commanders and the officials, they saw what David did and then they gave willingly. Remember, that was the very first principle that we looked at two weeks ago. We only give what we want to give. We only give what we're willing to give. We don't give out of coercion. We don't give out of guilt. We give because we want to give. And so the people are really excited because they see their leaders giving. And what did the leaders give? The leaders gave 5,000 talents of gold. That turns out to about $9 billion worth of gold. And the people are just rejoicing and people are caught up in the desire to give themselves to God And so they begin to bring even their own jewelry, even their own coins. And now everyone is excited. Anyone, verse 8 says, everyone began to give. And then all the people, all the people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders. Notice what they rejoiced about. They didn't rejoice about the amount. It doesn't say that people rejoiced at the amount that the leaders had given but rather that the people rejoice at the willingness of their leaders to give. God wants us to give willingly. He wants us to give willingly because it's only a willing heart that becomes a joyful heart. But when you want to give, you give with joy. A key verse that we've been looking at all three weeks here for the last three is 2 Corinthians 9, 7, 8. It says each man and woman should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you may abound in every good work. God wants us to give joyfully. And we can only give joyfully. We can only give cheerfully if we give willingly. But we have to be willing to give ourselves first to God. Why should we do that? We'll find out all about that next week. But right now, why should we do that? Because of all that God has given to us. Whatever you're wearing now is from God. Whatever brought you here is from God. Wherever you're going to afterwards is from God. Whatever you do tomorrow is from God. Your job, your money, your bank account. No matter what you think you don't have, what you do have is all from God. 
and Jesus and this family and this church. It's all from God. God has prospered us so much more than any nation in the history of the earth. And God has given to us so much. And why? Why would God prosper us? When we were studying the treasure principle last year, there were six keys that Randy Alcorn talked about in his book. And the sixth key says this, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And if God has prospered me to raise my standard of giving, then God has prospered me to raise my standard of joy. Of what gives me joy? Of giving to others. Of being able to bless them because it's going to make their life better. God wants us to give of ourselves and of our offerings with joy because this is why he made us and this is why we are like him. There's nothing greater than being able to give out of a willing heart. And so God challenges us in this week and in the weeks ahead to be willing to give for the sake of others, to be willing to give for the sake of love. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray that we would have a dream for your house. And we pray that this dream would honor you. And we pray, Father, that you would work in our spirits so that we will be the people that you made us to be. Help us, Lord, to have only one fear, the fear of God. And that see that that is a good thing, not a bad thing. It is a good thing because it leads to joy. It is a good thing because it leads to strength. It is a good thing because it leads us closer to you. Help us, Lord, to grow in our faith. Help us to have the same dreams in our lives that you have for us. Help us to dream dreams, Lord, that please you and that fulfill your dreams for us. In Jesus we pray. Amen.